This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Thanks be to God. Thanks, David, for reading today's passage. And a very good morning to everyone. It's always a joy and privilege that we can gather and to hear God's word together, to engage with it. And we should ask God to help us to do so. I hope you have your Bible open still. And the bulletin there is to help you as we go through this very last chapter of Isaiah. But let us go to God and ask him to help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have helped us to journey through from the beginning of Isaiah up to this point at this last chapter. We pray, God, that as we um, come to you, as we engage with your word, that, God, we will receive from you. We pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will help us, whatever our minds have been running around for the whole week, that you bring us back and draw us to your word so that we can engage with your truth and our hearts will be warmed as well be warned by you and father we pray that your holy spirit help us to respond rightly to you for your glory and yours alone we pray amen now our life journey in a very real sense it is a journey that we take under the all-seeing eyes of god and we will all arrive at the destination that our paths take us. In John Bunyan's famous book, The Pilgrim's Progress, he tells the story of a man named Christian. Christian took this journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, which represents heaven. Now, as Christian takes his journey through various places, at times arriving at pit stops to be refreshed and to be reminded of where he's heading, he came to realize that the only way for him to reach the celestial city, that is heaven, is to keep heeding the words of the one who is true. This morning, we will be taking our last journey into this book of Isaiah. Now, someone like Pilgrim's Progress, this journey will take us through three particular pit stops, guided by the words of God, and we are called to realize that we do need to heed God's word and take it to heart. Now, Isaiah 66 is a continuation from Isaiah 65, where we are told who is in and who is out of the new heavens and new earth. And it is an extended reply to Isaiah's earlier prayer in 63, 64, where he pleaded that God would come and save his people. Now, in this final chapter, we are told Once more, that God, He indeed will come, but our final destination depends on whether we listen to God's word or ignore it. So our first pit stop today, we'll arrive at the temple to learn about what is genuine and false worshippers. And from there, we'll actually visit a maternity ward and hear how God the Deliverer will bring about new births in the new Zion in heaven And finally, we will stand at the crossroad to the future heaven and hell. And there, we'll see the glory of the new heavens, but we'll also smell the burning flesh of the dead. I hope you are ready on this last journey of Isaiah 66. So if you have your Bible, 
Look now with me to verses 1 and verse 2. God said this, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things and so they came into being? Now, as we enter this last chapter of Isaiah, we are immediately confronted by God's voice declaring He is the heavenly King and His kingship is beyond what human hands can build for Him. His throne is beyond our reach and of this grand earth is barely big enough to be the footstool of God. Actually, we have already heard this message before, right back in Isaiah 6 verse 1, where Isaiah wrote this. He said this in Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne, and the train of his robe fills the temple. Now here's the reality of who God is. Even though God's people built a temple for God, God has never been and can never be confined to a temple built by human hands. Now, the act of building a temple for God is not a way to gain God's favor. The mere acts of sacrificing bulls or offering lambs, grains, burning incense do not make God any greater than He is. Now, we cannot and we can never scratch God's back enough such that He's willing to scratch our back and give us a ticket to heaven. It does not work like that. Now look at verse 3 with me. Look at verse 3 in your Bible. When a person he carries a wrong attitude towards God, their sacrifice of animals is like killing a person or breaking a dog's neck. Their offering of grains or incense are like presenting pig's blood and worshipping an idol instead of God. Now what they see with their physical eyes as religious Piety, God sees with his spiritual eyes as hypocrisy. Now, it was repulsive for God to see Israel conducting religious activities while choosing to live their own ways and delighting in their sins. To God, they are worshipping idols of their own making. Now, as you and I, we stand at the edge of the temple uh, looking with God at the various religious activities, we are called to ask this question. We are called to ask, what is genuine worship and what is hypocrisy to God? Well, the difference between a genuine and a fake worship is this. Look at verse 2b and verse 4 with me. To those whom God looks on with favor, are verse 2b, those who are humble and contrite in spirit, and who tremble at my word. Whereas those God will judge harshly are those whom verse 4 says, when God called, they did not answer. When God spoke, they would not listen. They did evil in God's sight, and they chose what displeases Him. Now, throughout our whole journey of Isaiah for this whole year, we have seen again and again the failures of Israel and her human kings like Ahaz or even the great king Hezekiah. Now God alone has always from chapter 1 up to now been the God, the only true king whose word is true but they keep ignoring it. 
know, God is not entertained by human religiosity. You know, he knows the depths of our own hearts. No, it is not by our mere emotions because our emotions can deceive us. It's not by mere emotions or religious contributions that God is pleased with us. Rather, God wants to see whether our hearts will tremble at his word. You know, those who are humble and contrite spirit, who trembles before God's word, verse 2, God sees as the genuine worshippers, his people. Those who do not care about God's word and hide behind religious activities, verse 4, they are merely living out their own idolatry. And listen, brothers and sisters, friends, you know, like Israel of the past, we too must be careful not to look religious outwardly, but inwardly we reject God's word and finds that it is not frightening at all. You know, Mark 7, it recorded a conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders. This is what happens in Mark 7, verse 5. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? You know, instead of eating their food with defiled hands, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, those people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You know, as with the Pharisees of that time, or even the religious in Isaiah's time, so it can be for our generations, where professing Christians, those who profess, would exalt religious traditions, contributions, and rituals. But their hearts are a million miles away from God. They'll create their own spirituality, but they'll reject God's word. They'll compromise God's word. In fact, they will persecute genuine Christians who refuse to compromise because they fear God. No, it was done in the time of Isaiah. It was done in, on Jesus himself by his own people. Remember, Jesus, when he was on the cross, the religious people mocked him from below. And this is what they say in Mark 27. He says, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. And the same persecution happened to the followers of Jesus in Acts. And through our Christian history, it happens. But hear this, God is not oblivious. It's all seeing eyes captures everything. And this is what God says in Isaiah 66 verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your people, your own people who hate you and exclude you because of my name have said, let the Lord be glorified that we may see his joy, your joy. Yet, they will be put to shame. No, it is true. If you choose to fear God's word, you may suffer. But choose it anyway. Choose it anyway because these are the ones that God favors and he will set things right. In fact, to prepare his followers for the persecution that they will face, Jesus said this in John 15. He said, John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, Keep in mind that he hated me first. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. No, there are two paths before us to live 
one may seem to love God, but without his word, really hates him. The other loves God by trembling before his word, knowing that judgment and salvation belongs to God. Now, if you just pause for a moment, friends, brothers, sisters, just for a moment in this last chapter and consider which path we will take. Will we be religious, wearing our halos around our head, looking good in public, but never really read or tremble before God's word in private? That it really doesn't matter in life. No tears are shed when we read about judgment about sin? Or will we tremble at his word knowing that it is hell we deserve, yet God is willing to offer us heaven if only we will turn back to him and put him back to where it is, the center of everything. Again, Jesus illuminates the hard issue between true and false worshippers or self-serving worshippers this way. He said this in Luke 18. Let me recount this for us. Luke 18 verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, not even like the tax collector. No, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. There is one who trembles before God, and there is one who doesn't. It doesn't, it's not seen by their religiosity outside. Regarding those who do not tremble before God's word, our journey at the temple ends with the fearful sound of judgment echoing all around us. Verse 6, the sound of the Lord repaying his enemies, all they deserve will be heard all over the place on that final day. Now as Isaiah continues, and he moves to verse 7, we get suddenly swept off from the temple, caught to, guess what, the maternity ward. Look now to verse 7 with me. Before she goes into labor, she gives birth. Before the pains come upon her, she delivers a son. Now, who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do I bring to the moment of birth and not deliver, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Now I remember this horror account years back. I was just arriving in Perth with my wife and this very lovely couple came to pick us up from the airport and drove us to their home uh, to have tea. Uh, when they heard that uh, my wife was pregnant with twins, the man was really excited. It's, it's a friend of mine. And he said, uh, my, my mom uh, also had twins. And, uh, 
and he started to recount the days as if he was there. I'm not sure how he does that. He was recounting, he says, back in the days where, where we were, our hometown, uh, the hospital were busy. They were, the hospital were busy and doctors literally dropped everything and leave the moment it was time to knock off. You know, my friend was smiling and chatting with us, but then he suddenly paused and he gave me a very serious look and he said this, my mom was in the hospital and was delivering when the clock struck 12 and the doctor refused to deliver the second one. He just left. My mom was holding one and was waiting for the second shift doctor to come in. You can imagine my horror as I just arrived on soil and look at them and then they realized my experience. Oh, not in Australia. You do know we are not Australians. And that, that gave me a sigh of a relief. God said, verse 9, Do I bring to the moment of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Do I close up the womb when I bring to delivery, says your God? Not our God. He will bring delivery at the moment of birth. In fact, verse 7 tells us it would happen so quickly that it cannot be stopped. Zion will give birth even before she goes into labor or the pains comes upon her. Now, one of the ladies in my Bible study group says, that sounds like cesarean. In fact, if you look carefully at verses 7 to 8, no, God will not only deliver a promised son. This one son will turn out to be, verse 8, a country, a nation, Children for Zion, through one son, this miraculous birth will bring forth a new Jerusalem. Remember back in Isaiah 11, you know, months back, God declared a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, a son like King David will be born. He will stand as a banner for the peoples, nations will rally to him, God, the deliverer of Zion, he will cause the birth of a miraculous child that will bring forth a new Jerusalem in a way no one has ever seen or heard. Now, to those who struggle under pressure, God says he will keep his promise. Trust in him that he will bring about the birth of Zion, the new Jerusalem. It may not be an easy path, for those who tremble at God's word, for us if you choose to tremble at God's word, but trust that God will bring about the delivery. On that day, those who trust in him will rejoice, for in that day, verse 10 to 14, they who mourn over God's nation, they will be nursed and satisfied, they will drink deeply the abundance God has prepared for the children of the new Jerusalem. Now on that day, they were saying, I've got peace like a river. I've got peace like a river, not just in their hearts, but as a complete reality. Like a mother who bounds her child happily on her knees, God will do likewise for the children of the new Jerusalem. For those who fear God's word now, they will live in that beautiful picture of being children, being totally cared for by the God who delivers them into the new Jerusalem. Now, dear friends, if we are to just pause here, just for a moment, and reflect on our life's journey so far. Some of you will reflect longer than others, but as you reflect on your life's journey so far, 
Will we recognize our deep need to tremble before God? Have we been trembling deeply before God's word? Will we come before God and acknowledge that His word is the life-giving water that we need to drink from every day rather than the sweet drinks that the world offers that does nothing to our spiritual health? Will we look to God for comfort when the rubber hits the road? Or we give Him up? Now, in fact, verse 14 ends this section at the maternity ward, similar to the ending at the temple in verse 6. There are both hope and warning for us as we look at verse 66. Yes, for those who trust in God as their deliverer, their hearts will rejoice. The goodness they will eventually enjoy will flourish as easily as grass flourish on the fields. The Lord will make himself known to those who are his servants. But the warning is also very severe to those who make themselves the enemies of God by not fearing God's word in their hearts. Verse 14, they will face the fury of God. Now we may want to ask this question, why did Isaiah repeat this hope and then bring this warning? It's done that in verse 6, why do it again in verse 14? When God speaks of blessing, why must he speak also of judgment? And the reason is this, because we need to see the reality that when God's perfect salvation comes, it comes with it, his perfect judgment. Both comes together. This is a warning that's repeated because we can fall into the world's lie to think that God's love is amoral, meaning that God's love is so great, he's unconcerned about right and wrong. He'll just love everybody, enemies or not, and just take them in whether they love him or not. It doesn't happen, and that is not true. When God brings his complete salvation, he will also bring a complete judgment. Now, unless we tremble at his word and find grace and mercy and forgiveness in God, his fury will fall on all who rebels against him. And if you are one of those, it will fall on us. Now finally, as we leave the maternity ward and we come to this last section, we find ourselves at this crossroad, looking at the new heavens, but also looking at the waiting hell. This final pit stop of our journey will end the same way as the previous two sections, calling us that we need to respond right now or we will face the horror when the day comes. So let us look at this last section, beginning with verse 15 to 17. C. The Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For with fire and with his sword, the Lord will execute judgment on all people, and many will be those slain by the Lord. Now, after hearing the call to trust God as the deliverer, the picture now turns towards God's enemies. Those who do not fear God's word will face God's wrath. 
which is his execution of judgment. Now, we have seen a glimpse of it throughout Isaiah, now, as God speaks of his judgment on Israel and on the nations. Now, verse 17, as we look at here, it talks about those who purify themselves only to go to the secret gardens to feast on unholy things without fear of God. No, they will meet their end, declares the Lord. God sees everything. He sees what happens after we take off our religious our public appearance and what we are on the inside. Now, easy, it's easy for us to think, you no, know, God's wrath will not come, especially in an aircon room, you know, because we are soaking in His general grace right at this moment. You no, know, the earth continues to spin whether we love God or we spit at His name. We continue to enjoy. It's hard to imagine God's wrath when we indulge in the beauty of our world, when we wake up and we breathe fresh air when we drink water that refresh our soul, it doesn't matter to us whether we love God or not. It doesn't seem that God's wrath will come, but the passage tells us this general grace expires. It expires. And then God will bring salvation as well as judgment. There is God's fury, His flames of fire and swords ahead. But as a loving God that He is, He doesn't go in that direction alone. He provides us an offer of mercy. You know, before He brings His fearsome judgment, He talks about His mercy. Look at verse 18 to 23. In the midst of all the unfaithfulness amongst God's people through the book of Isaiah, God, of Isaiah, God nevertheless, He chooses to come to our world to gather people of all nations and language, and they will come and see God's glory. Look at verse 19, it says, I will set a sign among them and I will send some of those who survive to the nations. Now God will send a sign to draw all nations and those who gather to the Lord will go out further still to proclaim God's glory. And verse 20, they will bring all God's people to the new Jerusalem, to his holy mountain and as an offering. They will come in, in aeroplanes, ships, buses, e-scooters, running shoes, sandals, barefoot, I'm basically rephrasing Isaiah's list in verse 20. But the point is this. People will come from all nations, from all walks, and they'll come and bring offerings to God in clean vessels that God will accept. What sign is this? Well, Isaiah already mentioned a sign back in chapter 7. Now, even as King Ahaz, he says, God, thanks, no thanks. Even as Israel turned to the nations of the world rather than to God, and they refused to listen to God's word, God says, Nevertheless, I will send a sign. A virgin will give birth to a child, and he shall be called Emmanuel. In the midst of people's rebellions and say, God, no thanks to you, God says, I will still send an Emmanuel to you. And we know who that child is on this side of the cross. It is Jesus. Listen to these words of Jesus himself when he speaks of why he's here in John 12, 27. Jesus said this, Now my soul is troubled, but what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In verse 31, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I... When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going 
to die. God will send a sign. And Jesus was the sign. In the midst of the rebellion of the world, God sent the sign to draw all nations back to himself. What God declared in Isaiah 66, the sign to draw people to himself, Jesus fulfills it. No, at the cross, Jesus knew that his death is the only way that those who trembles before God and his word can receive salvation. You know, what is written in ink in Isaiah, Jesus write in blood in our history. So that all of us who turns back to God through him can be saved. And so now because of Jesus, his death, those who believe God's word is fulfilled in him, goes out after his death to proclaim salvation. And he has been going through the world and generations and even reached us. That's why we are here listening to his word from Isaiah again. This will continue until the day where the king will arrive, that all seeing king will arrive. He will bring his salvation and also bring his judgment. And this is how everything will end, the last three verses of Isaiah. This is how it reads. As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched and they will be lossome to all mankind. Now, dear friends, brothers and sisters, when our journey on earth ends, there will be two final destinations. There is heaven, there is hell. To those in the new heavens and earth, it will be amazing. We have already read it last week in Isaiah 65. There will be joy and gladness forever. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Labor will not be in vain. Life will be fruitful. Wolf and lamb will feed together. Revelation describes that the streets will be paved with gold. There will be plenty of fruits from the tree of life. Everything is perfect. You know, John Bunyan tried to imagine that in his book, Pilgrim's Progress. No, verse 22, 23 here tells us everything will endure. All who are there will finally recognize God as God and will worship Him. Salvation will be complete. It will be a beautiful picture. But with salvation comes that sobering warning in the last verse of this massive book of Isaiah. There is also a place reserved for those who reject God. Their bodies the dead bodies are food for worms that do not die. Their bodies will be fuel for the fire of hell. This is a picture of an utter destruction. Now why end with verse 24? It would have been a lot easier to end at verse 23 and go home happy. Well, from Israel's track record throughout the book of Isaiah, from yours and my track record in our human history, we need verse 24. We need to take heed of both the offer and also hear again and again God's warning 
in his words, there is a dreadful destination for those who do not tremble before his word. Isaiah's final verse seems almost like a final appeal before he finished off, that we will hear this and that we will contemplate and we will consider carefully between us and God, whether we tremble at his word before we end up at the destination with no U-turns ever. In fact, Jesus picked up this last verse and he speaks about that to the people around him. We read that in responsive reading, but let us look at what he says in Mark 9. This is what Jesus says. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus' warning about the seriousness of turning from God leads to hell. Nothing, not even the precious things that our eyes and the pleasures that it gives us are worth giving up on heaven. Now, this is not a literal call to, to pluck our eyes because it doesn't pluck out a sinful heart. But it is a clear warning, a seriousness when he quotes from Isaiah 66, 24. There is serious consequence in sinning against God and rejecting Him. We must not let anything take the place of God. No, it's better to fear God's word and give up things that cause us to sin and end up in heaven than to indulge in sin to look religious and end up in hell. The way Isaiah ends with verse 24, which is picked up by our Lord Jesus Christ, is ultimately a call, a call for you, for me to keep listening, to hear and to tremble at God's word and not be those who merely look good on the outside but have no regards on the words of God because he sees everything. Now, dear friends, as we conclude this book of Isaiah, now God, the eternal God and King, has already made everything clear. He has repeated himself for 66 chapters. He made it clear for us so that there'll be no excuse for the people in the time of Isaiah. There'll be no excuse for the people in our time when we arrive at our destination. But I believe it is an appeal for us. Listen to it one more time and contemplate. Choose to fear God's word and hold on to God as the one who saves and the one who judges, that we may be where he wants us to be and not where we should have ended if we do not. Let's close this time and ask God to help us. Isaiah 66 verse 2 these are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite spirit and who tremble at my word. Dear Heavenly Father, you have made yourself clear to the people in Isaiah's time and to all of us when we read this same book. There are two paths that we can take, one without trembling before your word and one that trembles before your word, trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior knowing that it is in Him and Him alone 
that we can escape hell that we deserve and receive heaven that we do not. Help us to choose the right path. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.